Luke chapter 9. It's on page 867 if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles. Luke chapter 9. We'll be reading verses 23 through 27. And as we read this morning, remember this is God's word. Luke 9:23. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you, truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Thank you. You can have a seat. What is the normal Christian life? Or maybe another way to say it is, what should be the normal Christian life? Um, th- there's a lot of different ideas about that. What's normal for a Christian? What, what is it that's, that's common for a Christian? What should it be? Um, one of the questions I've had as I've thought about this passage uh, this week is, is the uh, normal Christian life similar or different from the American dream? Is it the same thing? Or is it a different thing? Is, is what it is to follow Jesus uh, inherently compatible with or at odds with the American dream? What do you think? Okay, I'm getting a lot of difference. It's different. It's, it sounds like people are going, it's more different than similar. Um, I think you'll find today, as we look at this passage, to say, yeah, that's true. That might feel like, gosh, what a dumb, obvious question. Uh, but but here, here's why I don't think it's, it might be obvious, it's, I don't think it's a dumb question, is because so many Christians, it seems like the story that drives them, the goal that drives them, the vision that drives them, is not the vision of the normal Christian life as Jesus gives it, but the vision of the American dream. The church uh, and the people in it look so much like the world and so much like our culture that it's very hard for us to go, yeah, really we are different. Really there is something unique about us. And yet what is unique or what should be unique about us is the calling to which we've been called in our lives because of Jesus. Uh, We've been looking over this series. This is our fourth out of five weeks of this series, Scandalous. We've been looking at these extreme statements of Jesus, these extreme sayings. And today is about as as extreme as it gets. And Jesus is going to specifically confront some things that are inherent in our desire to live the American dream. Our desire to have control over our lives. Our desire to have a really comfortable and secure and happy uh, material life. Our desire to have everybody like us. Jesus is going to confront those very things. And he's going to say... This is the normal life if you're going to follow me. That's what we're going after today. Uh, The way this passage works, um, well, let's just look at some context first. We're in Luke 9, 
uh, starting verse 23. Uh, before this, Jesus has been teaching. He's been doing his ministry. Uh, after this, he's about to, at the end of Luke, it will say that he's going to set his face towards Jerusalem and begin that direction, that march towards uh, his death. Um, what's happened in chapter 9 is he's sent out 12 apostles, giving them power over demons and to preach and doing just incredible things. Um, he's fed the 5,000. Maybe you've heard that story where he took a a couple of fish and loaves and multiplied that to feed over 5,000 people. Um, that's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Kind of a big deal. Uh, then he's spending time with his disciples and going, hey, who, do, who does everyone say that I am? And they say, oh, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, kind of come back, like reincarnated or something. But, and Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter responds boldly uh, in chapter 9, verse 20, the Christ of God. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one that's been promised. And so there's this bold declaration there. And then Jesus makes this incredible prediction in verse 22. He says that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Jesus here foreshadows and predicts his death. He'll actually do it a couple more times. And it seems like his disciples all along the way kind of go like, uh... Do you know what he meant by that? No, just nod your head. You know, and they don't get it, right? Even to the point where, like, at the end of the book of Luke, they're still so disappointed because Jesus has died. And it's like, guys, uh, he told you this was going to happen. But they just didn't have a slot for it at all. And in the same way that they didn't have a slot for this truth that, that God uh, could come in the flesh and the person of Jesus and die and be raised again, they didn't have a slot for that. In the same way, we don't really have a slot for the kind of radical commitment that Jesus is calling us to. So there will be a tendency in us, even here today, to kind of go, do you, do you know really what that means? Yeah, yeah, just nod your head. And Jesus is calling us to something so radical and so unique. And this is the call that goes out to anyone who wants to claim Jesus as Savior and Lord. So the way this passage works is verse 23, Jesus is going to make this bold statement, and then he's going to give us reasons for it in verses 24, 25, 26. Uh, verse 27 is really just a foreshadowing of the next story uh, where Jesus is transfigured. Uh, the, a few disciples are allowed to see him in all his glory and the glory that he'll have in the kingdom to come. And so they taste uh, the kingdom of God, um, as he says there in verse 27. So verse 23 really gives us the main uh, idea of what Jesus says it is to follow him. Here's what he says. He says that following him means denying yourself, dying to yourself, and following him, living for him every day. Following Jesus means dying to yourself and living for him every day. Look at verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So he's saying this to everybody there. And he's saying, if anyone. So this is a universal kind of thing. Jesus is saying the only way for anybody to come follow me is the way I'm going to describe here in just a moment. So there's not multiple ways to Jesus. There's not multiple approaches to following him. This is applicable to everybody. You interested in Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you go, I've, I've, I've been talking with maybe a friend about some stuff. They've invited me. I'm kind of exploring this thing. I've started to read the Bible. I'm trying to get it. What, what would it mean to be a Christian? Jesus is going to tell you. And he's going to say, the answer is true for you and for you and for you and for you and for you. He's not going to say, some people can go with plan A. Radical commitment to me. 
But if you want to opt for plan B, just write a really big check and you're in. I mean, just fund my, I mean, like, there's not like multiple plans. There's one plan, one way. If anyone, it applies to everybody, if anyone would come after me, that means to, to follow him as a disciple. A disciple is one who's a learner. Uh, one who is uh, maybe a similar idea that we would have would be the idea of an apprentice. So if you're a tradesman, if you're wanting to become a carpenter, and you say, you know what, I better do an apprenticeship with a, with a carpenter, and you learn the trade, and you learn the craft, and you learn how to run the business, and you, you follow that person. Your disciple. Jesus is saying, if anybody wants to be my disciple, wants to be my apprentice, here's what they have to do. You want to know what it is to follow Jesus? As, as, a, as someone who's exploring faith? You want to know what it is to follow Jesus as someone who says, yeah, I'm already in on Jesus. What, but yeah, remind me. What am I called to? Here's what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So there's three things there. You see it? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. Let's look at what those are. So deny himself. What is it to deny yourself? To deny yourself is to admit that you are not the center of the universe and to admit that you are not in control. It is to deny personal control of your life. Uh, And this is very, very difficult because all of us have only one person that we think about a lot. Us, right? I mean, honestly, I, I think about myself way more than I think about any of you. And you think about yourself more than you think of me. So we're even. I mean, this is just how it works. We, th- it's that way. And, and we assume that we have control of our lives, which is just itself kind of funny. People will talk about, I, I'm giving God control of my life. I may even say that at some point in here, just because it's such a common way to talk. But it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it, isn't it? Me. Tiny little human. One of six billion people on earth. I'm giving God control. Really. I mean, it kind of seems like God already has control, right? So, so what this is saying is, I'm going to acknowledge that I'm nobody. I'm going to acknowledge that I'm not that important. And I'm going to surrender myself um, to Him. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to die to my ego. I'm going to die to my reputation. I'm going to die to my comfort and my control. I am going to deny myself. This is self-denial. This is getting yourself off of the throne of your life. It's not the same as hating yourself. Uh, Tim Keller has a wise kind of insight onto this. He says, um, self-denial is not self-hatred. Self-hatred is still, in reality, a form of self-centeredness. If you're absorbed in all your own problems and your attention and focus are dominated by your flaws and failures. Self-denial is rather self-forgetfulness. Isn't that interesting? There's two ways to be really selfish. One is by, like, championing yourself all the time. Look at me, aren't I a good boy? I mean, that kind of thing. And the other one is to hate yourself but to think about yourself all the time. In both cases, you're still the center of your universe. So, so self-denial here is, is self-forgetfulness. Haven't you had moments like that? Where I mean, you don't realize it in the moment because you're not thinking about yourself. But afterwards where you go, you know what, I was just so caught up in what was happening or in those people or in that moment, I just wasn't even thinking about me. You ever had that? Isn't that so freeing? I mean, not, not sort of, Molly and I call it the over-exaggerated sense of self. That sense that everyone's looking at me, everyone's noticing, everyone cares. Let me help you here. No one cares. No one's looking, no one's noticing. I mean, like, 
you're not that big a deal, right? And yet you walk into a room and you're like, you know, oh my gosh, my hair is not right. Everybody's going to notice. No, they don't care. And if they do care, these are not people you should care about them caring. Like this isn't that big of a deal. So just self-forgetfulness, denying yourself, going, I'm not the most important. I don't live for me. I live for the Lord. And so that's what he's going to begin to say. Uh, if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. What does that mean? Well, it's very easy to look back because we have the cross of Jesus Christ in the rear view. So we know that that meant to be crucified. Interesting to know what were they thinking as they heard it before that happened. Um, what, what the cross is, is a, a horrible instrument of execution, of death. So Jesus here is saying, if you're going to follow me, deny that you are the center of the universe and take up your instrument of death and come on. In other words, grab your electric chair. Be willing to march with me and face rejection, if need be, and to face death, even. This idea, if you you heard people just cheapen this phrase, have you heard them talk about this? Like, well, that's just my cross to bear. That car, you know, my air conditioning went out. That's just my cross to bear. Have you heard this? Like, really? Really? That's what Jesus is talking about? If anyone... If anyone would come after me, let him experience all kinds of first world problems and say that they're in a cross. What? No. Come on. So this is an intense kind of thing. And this is to be normal. This is the normal experience of the Christian life. I don't know if you followed this week um, the story of this Iranian pastor. Uh, His name is Youssef. I'm not going to say this right. Nadarkhani, I think, is how you say it. He was a Muslim uh, in Iran became a follower of Jesus, converted to Christianity, is a pastor of a church there, and has uh, had all kinds of allegations kind of trumped up against him. Fundamentally, he won't, he'll refuse to uh, convert back to Islam. So they're talking about putting him to death, killing him because of his faith in Jesus. And we look at that in, in horror, and, and that, is, that is horrible. I mean, that is unjust, that is evil, that is wicked. What Jesus here, though, is saying is that's normal if you want to follow me that's part of the deal like the expectation should be i'm probably going to die for this which is just i we don't have a slot for that do we I mean, we just can't imagine actually having followed jesus to the point of death so it's a very hard concept even for us to understand but that's that's what this is about and that's what this uh this pastor is thinking I read, a, I read a great letter that he wrote to his congregation about what he's dealing with. It was translated into English. And here was one of the things he said, writing to his church as he's facing execution. He says, Consider these bumps and prisons as opportunities to testify to Jesus' name. He said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Do you know what he just quoted? Look at verse 26. That's, all, that's what he's quoting. And so could it, be, could it be possible that the thing that's sustaining this pastor as he faces his imminent death, I haven't heard an update in the last day or so in terms of what, where exactly the situation stands. Some of you may know that. But as he faces this, could it be possible that what he's thinking is this very passage? So you know what, what it is to follow Jesus is to take up your cross. I'm just, I'm just living out the normal Christian life. 
I think that's what it means. For us, very few of us will have to face death like this. But we face a choice every single day. Will we deny ourselves or will we live for the Lord? Here's how John MacArthur says it in one of his commentaries. He says, Jesus' listeners understood that he was calling them to die for him. They knew he was asking them to make the ultimate sacrifice, to surrender to him as Lord in every sense. When confronted with a decision between serving self and serving the Lord, the true disciple is the one who chooses to serve the Lord, even at great personal expense. And notice this is to happen daily, right? It says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. This is a daily thing. It doesn't mean that to become Jesus' disciple, you have to do it over and over again and keep asking you know, to get saved over and over. That's not what it's saying. When you make a commitment to trust Christ and you're born again, that's, that's a once-for-all thing. What it is saying is to follow Jesus is a continual, ongoing life of denying self and choosing Him. Every day we have moments when we're confronted, as MacArthur says, with a decision between serving self and serving the Lord. And the true disciple consistently over time in an increasing way chooses to serve the Lord. It's what it is to follow Him. We take up our cross daily. We follow Him. To follow His example. To follow His teaching. To surrender to Him. To obey to Him. Um, uh, one of the guys uh, recently just sent me this picture. I thought this was pretty funny related to this passage. LOL. No, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me, Jesus says. I don't know how many of you are Twitter users. You know, the way Twitter works, you can just follow whoever you want. Um, You kind of get updates on their life and articles they're interested in and information. And you can reply if you want, but it's a very kind of casual thing. I can follow you. I can unfollow you. I can. And most of us want a Twitter approach to following Jesus. I think he's interesting. I think he has some helpful ideas for my life. I think maybe I'm in a pinch. He could maybe get me out of that. I'll follow him. Eh, deny yourself? Uh, not so much. I'll unfollow. Jesus said, I, I, want, I want you in. I want you all in. And he expects our, us to have total allegiance to him. He demands this. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Lord means master. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna say Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my rescuer, Jesus is my master, but then you don't do what he says? Jesus says, help me with that. That doesn't make sense. Jesus says, What it is to follow me is to deny yourself, take up your cross every day, follow me. Why? Why should we do that? Well, he gives three reasons. It's, each one starts, each of these next three verses starts with the word four. Okay, so four there in the passage, uh, the number or the letter four uh, is the letter, the word for. F-O-R is to tell us this is why this is coming. This is why I've said this. Jesus has said this bold thing. What's his reasoning? Well, his first one is that your life is at stake. That's his first reason. Look at verse 24. It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus introduces this kingdom paradox. This is a normal part of his teaching, right? To to be first is to be last. To be a servant and a slave of Christ is to be free. 
To save your life is to lose it. To lose your life is to save it. Okay. I mean, like, well, I don't know what you mean. Here's what's happening. In all three of these things that Jesus, all three of these reasons, Jesus is going to confront a major idol that when we worship it functionally with our lives, like we'd never go, yes, that's my God, but functionally our hearts worship it. He's going to confront that. And those are the very things that keep us from being able to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And so the first idol that he's confronting here, I think, is the idol of control. The idea that you are going to try to save your life. You're going to try to live your life in such a way that you can control the circumstances. You control the situation. You can make sure that you're secure. You can make sure you have everything you need. And Jesus says, if you are going to live that way, you're going to have to try to have that level of control and authority over your own life. You're not denying yourself. That kind of self-absorption will kill you. It's the path to death. Whoever saves his life will lose it. But if you are willing to lose your life, you say, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to go to the execution chamber if I have to, to follow Jesus. There you find real life. That's hard to believe. We've got to fight to even believe that. But the path of life is the path of self-denial. Your life is at stake. Second reason he gives is that the world is not worth it. Look at verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So you get this. You, you, you have everything you want. You have all the creature comforts. You have all the money. You have all the success. You have all the acclaim. You have all the pleasure. But you don't have him? What do you gain? You forfeited or lost yourself. What Jesus here is confronting is the idol of comfort. The, the, and that keeps us from denying ourselves because we're going, fundamentally, I believe that I need and deserve a happy life. That idol reigns supreme. It reigns supreme in American dream Christianity. Now, some of you would go, I don't believe um, that God owes, you know, I, I don't believe in that American dream stuff. Here's how I know you do. Here's how I know. Because when something bad happens to you, it's not very long before you say in your heart, God, how could you do this to me? Don't you know how faithful I've been? Don't you know how I've followed you? God, how could you let this happen? And what you're revealing in that moment is that you believe that God owes you a comfortable life. That is not what Jesus says here. You deserve nothing. And so then when you get comfort, I mean, when, because all of us enjoy all kinds, we've already today enjoyed, I mean, we're sitting in air conditioning, like that's a pretty cool blessing of the Lord, right? We should be thankful for that. We don't, we're not owed that. Some of you would like to have more of it, less of it. Just that we have it is like, whoa, God, how good you are to us. But, but, but we have all these things. We should, be, we should be thankful, but we shouldn't expect them and we for sure shouldn't live for them. And Jesus is saying, if you live for that, it doesn't end well. It's not real life. And the truth is that the kingdom of God and the joy of God and the, the purposes of God are always advanced through sacrifice and through people denying themselves, uh, taking up their cross and following Him. 
Abraham comes to mind and is an example from Genesis 12 where Abraham leaves everything that's comfortable and familiar. God says, leave all your family, leave your homeland and go to this place. I'm not even going to tell you where it is yet, but I'll show you when you get there. Go. Sacrifice. So that he can become a great nation. The Bible is just filled with these stories. Jesus is another very obvious example of someone who leaves his comfort in order to bring forth the kingdom of God, to sacrifice himself, to lay down his comfort so that we could know him and so that the world could be invited to know him. This is the normal path of the Christian life. And what it means is that you and I are at times going to be forced to sacrifice things. Forced to sacrifice our comfort. Forced to sacrifice our, our specific idea of how our life should work. We've got to sacrifice that for a bigger thing. And so we're going to show you a video here. Some of you may be on the way in. You heard, oh, I heard there's an announcement today. I'm going to show you a video. And it, it really kind of doubles uh, both as an example of the kind of thing we're talking about that sacrifice uh, leads to the furthering of the kingdom. But it also is a significant announcement just as it relates to Redemption Church. Um, it's about nine minutes long. Um, and so it's from Justin Anderson, who's uh, the, been the preaching pastor at Tempe in Arcadia for the last uh, couple of years and planted Praxis Church a number of years ago. He'll explain all that. Uh, but I just want to show this to you. It's about nine minutes long. Um, and then I'll come back and we'll get back into this uh, text. So take a look. Hey, Redemption, Pastor Justin here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am the primary communicator at the Tempe and Arcadia campuses and was the founding pastor of Praxis Church uh, that, that merged with Second Mile in East Valley. So uh, I'm here today to make an announcement, and it's an announcement we're making across all four campuses, but because I can't be in Gilbert or Gateway, um, we're going to make this announcement via video. And I want to take you back a little bit to give some context for this announcement. Um, about six months ago, maybe a little further back, uh, we were doing some uh, team building exercises with the leadership team. So myself and Pastor Tom and Tim and Luke and Tyler and Neil. And uh, one of the things that we were doing was a uh, kind of build your, what's your ideal job description, the perfect description, uh, perfect job for what, what we're particularly gifted at. And, and when it got around to me, I said, I'm doing my perfect job. I, I love what I do. I love my staff. I love my role. And, and it's, it's great. And, and kind of as an aside uh, to the guys, I said, um, the, only, the only other thing I could ever imagine would be uh, planting a church in San Francisco. And uh, I said it kind of as a joke, kind of as an offhanded comment. And the guys kind of looked at me and said, well, should you do that? And it was uh, the beginning of what became a six-month process of praying and thinking and considering what um, what might lie ahead, and especially in light of the fact that um, Tempe was um, considering investing uh, between six and eight million dollars in in a building, and and the guys feeling a responsibility to make sure that this was something that um, we could really invest in soundly, and and myself feeling the responsibility uh, to be able to make that kind of commitment, and. Um, and so, uh, over the course of about six months, uh, my wife and I and, and our closest friends and family began to pray about um, whether or not God uh, was, was calling us to this. And 
for some of you that don't know me very well, um, this this idea in and of itself may seem like it comes out of nowhere. Um, but people closest to me would know that even though this will be a surprise, um, this doesn't come out of left field. And, and really, the story goes back um, 10 years ago. The, a friend of mine uh, brought me to San Francisco for a jazz festival. And I remember very distinctly standing um, on Hate Street in the center of the 60s hippie movement and seeing this old Catholic church that was boarded up and thinking, man, this place needs a church. And and. Ten years have gone by and um, dozens and dozens of, of trips and vacations to San Francisco and a lot of prayer and at various times um, considering this option, but um, it never really feeling like the right moment, the right time. In fact, any time I've ever told the story of Praxis, um, I've always started by saying uh, that Tempe was fifth on my list of five cities that I considered planting in and that number one was San Francisco. And really, seven years ago, before we planted Praxis, I thought long and hard about planting in San Francisco, but at the time I was 25 and single and had very little leadership experience and, and just felt like that was not the, the wisest move I could make. And so we came here, we planted Praxis, it's grown, uh, we merged it, obviously, with East Valley and, and with, with Second Mile to form Redemption Church. Um, and so that, that meeting with the guys six months ago um, kicked off this season of, of prayer and thinking and considering and, um, and, and, and was the first time that I felt like I could legitimately consider um, this option. The leadership team uh, very graciously freed me up to actually think and pray about it. And so after, after six months of, of prayer and, and fasting and consideration and conversations and back and forth hundreds of times in my own head and back and forth several times, in fact, even with the leadership team telling them, I'm going to do it, I'm not going to do it, and then finally, I, I really feel like I have to do it. Um, today we're announcing that in the spring, um, probably in March, April, um, myself and, and my wife will be moving to San Francisco to plant Redemption San Francisco. And um, while we won't be a, a, a campus of Redemption Church in an organizational sense, we will be as close as a sister church could possibly be um, in San Francisco with the same vision and the same values and the same theology and, and even the same um, website look. I mean, what we've built here at Redemption, I love and, and fully believe in and fully support. And uh, we want to take that same vision to San Francisco. And San Francisco is a place with, with a reputation, certainly, that um, I don't have to go very far into, but it is a, it's a hard place. Um, in, in, in my extensive research in the city, um, I know of about five or six uh, evangelical churches that I could really um, encourage someone to go to, and even within that, really just two in a, in a city of almost a million people uh, that that would be gospel-centered reforms that I'd be really excited about um, sending people to, really just, just two churches. And so um, it's a place of great need. In fact, um, geographically, San Francisco is almost the exact same size as Tempe. Uh, but Tempe has 150,000 people, and San Francisco has 850,000 people um, in that same area. And it swells um, to almost a million and a half people during the day, during the work day, as people commute in from the East Bay and the South Bay and the North. So um, it's, a, it's a vibrant city. It's a beautiful city. 
but it's a city that's that really is in need of churches and um, I, I am a, a, a proven church planter, someone who feels called, um, who loves the city, who has been kind of infatuated with the city for, for 10 years now, and, uh, and, and it's time. So um, over the next six months, we will transition out of our role here um, and begin to raise money and to pray and to lay the groundwork for um, this, this from scratch plant. Um, in San Francisco. So um, that's the announcement that we have to make today. And I, and I would ask you for a couple things. One, please pray. And, and, I, and I mean that. I mean, a lot of times when missionaries or church planters um, ask for support, they ask for prayer. Um, but there are significant spiritual strongholds in that city um, that, that we need to pray for breakthrough. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would really go before us, that the gospel would, would take root in people's hearts as, as we preach and lead and interact with people there. So please pray. Secondly, um, in these next couple of weeks, you're going to hear more and more about this plant. One of the things we're going to ask you to do is um, to provide us with contacts in the city, people that you know, people that um, you, you know have moved there who live in the city, pastors who might know people in the city, or you know somebody who knows somebody, any contacts that you have um, would be greatly appreciated as, as we don't know anybody there really outside of a couple of pastors. Um, and, and then uh, just continue to walk with us through this. I, I will say this in, in closing. Um, that the leadership team of Redemption has been unbelievably generous um, in this process, not only um, just allowing us to really think about this, is, um, this is a, a sacrifice on their part um, to allow us to go, but um, has been emotionally supportive and, and so generous financially with us. When I told my wife um, how Redemption was going to support us, she cried, and, um, and I got emotional too. It's um, really a testimony to uh, Redemption's continued vision to plant churches and expand the kingdom. So um, while this is um, certainly exciting, it's also really sad and, and hard to make this announcement as so many people that we love, care for, that we have um, labored with here in the Valley for, for seven years now, um, we'll have to say goodbye to and relationships will change. And so please pray for our family. Um, for my wife, Emily, and for our kids, Lily and Cole, um, as we make this transition. And uh, pray for San Francisco. Um, we're going to need your help. So we love you. Um, God bless you. And, and uh, thank you. The kingdom of God goes through sacrifice. That's how it happens. Um, somebody after the last service said, how do you, you know, kind of pulling aside. How do you feel about this? Like, how do you really feel kind of thing? And I'll tell you how I really feel is I, I'm sad to lose Justin uh, as a friend. He's a good friend of mine. I'm sad to lose him as a leader and for our church um, and just redemption as a whole. Um, but I'm excited about the kingdom and I'm excited about the way that, that our vision of raising up leaders and planting churches and seeing the kingdom grow. I'm, I'm really excited about how that can expand. I mean, just think about this for a minute. Yet San Francisco, one of the darkest, most unreached places in our country, um, wouldn't you want to send some of your best people uh, to go be part of that? And it looks like there might be another pastor from Tempe as well joining their team. I mean, that, that to me seems like that's how you'd want to approach it. Uh, it, it reminds me of Acts 13, um, where uh, the church at Antioch is gathered to pray, and the Holy Spirit sets aside Paul and Barnabas to start 
to go be missionaries? And don't you think that there had to be some people at Antioch that were like, Paul? We're sending Paul? I love his Romans class. Like, <laughs> we can't lose him, you know? And, and yet they, they did that. They, you know, and, and it was because sacrifice paves the way to mission. I was actually the person, <laughs> you can blame me, I was the person that, you know, in that whole leadership thing he was discussing, going, hey, let's talk about San Francisco. Should you go there? Like, is that, a, you know, that, ever since I've known you, that desire's been there. Is that something God's doing? And I think just to be able to have those kinds of conversations, um, I don't know how, where it is, the, how it is the way you work, but I think it's a rare thing for a, a top-level executive-type leader to have even the freedom within the organization to talk about leaving. Um, and a lot of places would be like, well, you're just fired if you're even thinking about it. We said, no, let's, let's, let's pray about that. Let's see. And, and we just sense this is something God's leading us to do. Um, one thing, just, just clarity-wise, um, he mentioned it on there. Uh, he'll call it Redemption San Francisco. It will be an autonomous plant. Um, like they'll have their own leadership, their own elders. It's not like I'm going to get up here one morning and go, we're now meeting in five locations. Gateway, Gilbert, Tempe, Arcadia, San Francisco. It's not going to be that. Um, but we will provide just a lot of encouragement and support, try to keep up that relationship as much as we can. Um, and someone else reminded me, uh, when we planted Second Mile, a few months into that, um, we, we brought Matthew Brazelton to join our team. Uh, he had been uh, very, I mean, more people were attending the worship service he was leading at East Valley Bible Church than any other service they have. And they graciously and joyfully said, take him. And we've experienced the fruit of that, haven't we? And so this is just, this is just how, this is how it works. This is how it is in the kingdom. And it doesn't always like, fit exactly what we'd want. I know there are going to be some people at Tempe and Arcadia today that are going, oh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't want that. I don't like that. And that's just part of it. Um, but, but this is something God's, God's calling him to do. And, uh, and we should just get used to the fact of it isn't about us anyway, right? It's about Jesus. So, like, we shouldn't get too attached to any leader, uh, not Justin, none of you are really attached to him, I don't think, uh, not me, not Matthew, not Eloy, uh, not any, I mean, this is just, it's part of the kingdom. A sacrifice paves the way for the kingdom to grow. So if you have other questions about that or want to talk about those things, uh, let me know. We will be letting you know about some of those informational meetings, so if you have some contacts you want to try to get to Justin, uh, that really would serve him well. He's starting from scratch. <laughs> Uh, a couple families, probably at most, that will move there, parachute into the city, so to speak, and, and try to get a church going. So uh, please do pray for him. All right, let's get back to the passage uh, for just a few more minutes. Um, what we've looked at this far means that following Jesus is dying to self and living for him every day. We do that because our life is at stake. Uh, our, the world isn't worth it. Jesus has challenged our control, our comfort. And then the last reason he gives that we should die to self and live for him is that we get him. We get Jesus. If you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him, you get him. Uh, Look at verse 26. This is what the Iranian pastor was quoting. He said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Why would we be ashamed of Jesus? Why was Peter, who just a few verses before this, says, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Why would he then be ashamed in front of a servant girl by a fire saying, oh, I've never met Jesus. I don't know him. Why? It's because one of the other idols that controls our hearts is approval. 
people's approval. We want to be liked. We want to be well thought of. We want to have a nice reputation. And so Jesus is specifically challenging that idol. He's challenged control. He's challenged comfort. Now he's challenging approval. He's saying, listen, if you aren't willing to seek my approval wholeheartedly, total allegiance to me, then you're going to lose your life and you're going to be denied before me and I'm the only one that matters. We're to live before an audience of one. That's what we used to call it uh, with my Athletes in Action team. That was a baseball team I played on of uh, Christian athletes. And we were trying to, this may sound just really silly to some of you, but we were trying to see how can we integrate our faith with playing baseball. Gosh, that seems like trivial. Well, not if you're a baseball player. How do you integrate your faith with being a, a mom? or with being an engineer, or with being a police officer, or a pilot. How do you do that? Well, you, if, if, if Jesus is going to be Lord over everything, then you have to think, what are the implications of Him being Lord over everything? And one of the implications we thought of as it related to sports was, we play before an audience of one. We're not playing for the crowd. We're not playing for parents. Not, we're not playing for coaches back home. We're playing for an audience of one. And the Scripture says that our attention and our allegiance is to be on Him all the time. That that should inform how we in, interact in a few different environments. One way it should inform it um, is just the way we view people's approval of us. In Galatians 1, it says this. Paul writes, For I am, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. You know what he's saying? If, if what has my heart is man's approval, that demonstrates that my loyalty isn't with Jesus. I'm not his servant. And this then has impact in, in how we do all kinds of things. It has impact on work. Where Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily, or work hard, or work with all your heart, as for the Lord and not for men. So how do you deny yourself? Take up your cross and follow Jesus tomorrow at work. You do your work as for Him. He's the audience of one you care about. In public life, uh, Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or to governors. He's talking to uh, Roman Christians where Nero is in charge. And I don't know if you like or dislike President Bush. I don't know if you like or dislike President Obama. Neither one of them are Nero. Okay, And he's saying the only thing that's going to allow you to submit to a a ruler like that is if you're doing it for the Lord's sake. You live for Him. This impacts just our uh, our relationships, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, it says in Ephesians 5. Why should we be caring and kind? It's out of reverence for Christ. We don't need to have our agenda advanced. We, We submit to one another out of reverence for Him. We live for Him. And and in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about this over and over, just in your spiritual life. He confronts people who are praying and giving and fasting in such a way as to be seen by people. And he says, in all those things, do them, but do them so that your Father who sees you do it in secret will see you and bless you. So if you, you, for instance, uh, said, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible and pray today with the hopes that later on you're going to be able to tell uh, somebody in your community or someone that you work with, I had, I had the greatest quiet time today. I had the greatest thing from the... Like, if that's your motivation, you are, you are doing that spiritual thing as an idolater. 
You're meeting with Jesus so that He can fuel your idolatry of your own approval. See how twisted we are? We do those sorts of things. See, that's what American dream Christianity is about. It's about making God serve your idols. Saying, God, what I really want is control. What I really want is a comfortable, easy life. What I really want is people to like me. And if I just believe God hard enough, then He'll give me all that stuff. No. The true message of Christianity that Jesus is here saying is, if anyone would come after me, die to yourself. Sacrifice your own control and comfort and approval. Be set free by Him. That's why He died on the cross. So that we could be free, not to love ourselves, but to love Him and to love other people. There's a, a... it's not a poem, but it's kind of a, I don't know, it's a writing that somebody gave me a couple of years back. It's always just been real helpful to me. I'll post this uh, for you guys somewhere on the city. Um, it's called Dying to Self. I want to just close reading this. We'll put it on the screen here together. Dying to Self. When you are forgotten, neglected, or purposely ignored, and you don't sting, with, sting and hurt with the insult of the oversight, But your heart is happy, being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. That is dying to self. When your good is spoken of as evil, your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, your opinion ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence, that is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder and irregularity or any annoyance, When you stand face to face with waste, folly, extravagance, spiritual insensibility, and endure it as Jesus endured, that's dying to self. When you are content with any food, any offering, any climate, any society, any clothing, and any interruption by the will of God, that is is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation, or to record your own good works, or to itch after praise. When you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met, and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy, nor question God, while your own needs are far greater and in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up within your heart, that is dying to self. Are you dead yet? Answer for me? Nope. And that, that whole thing. I have all kinds of places I'm not content with this or with that. I want. I think I deserve more. All kinds of places where I, I want to defend myself. I, I love. I love that song that uh, Matthew taught us this morning. My one defense, my righteousness. I don't need to stand up for myself. I don't need to stand up for my reputation. My, who, what's my reputation? I'm a horrible sinner, saved by grace. So, and Jesus is my defender. That's good enough for me. I can say that, but I want my heart to believe it. Don't you? If anyone would follow Him, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and do so. Let's pray. God, uh, we do long to um, 
die to ourselves. To have our reputation and our fame and our comfort and our control uh, be less important to us than it currently is. Now, that can only happen as we see um, Jesus being more valuable and more um, satisfying. And so we pray that that would be the case. God, I pray that uh, we would um, feel like he's enough all the time. God, we pray for our brother in Iran. I pray that you would spare his life. And God, we pray that he would make much of you in his bold uh, stand for your name. God, sustain his heart with the promise of this very text we study. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.